Howdy folks, I'm Dan Gross and welcome to Extended Harmony for Outside In Music. Outside In Music is a media company and record label that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website, outsideinmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Extended Harmony, what you're watching right now, is a monthly podcast produced in conjunction with Over Here, which is conducted by our esteemed leader, Nick Finzer. And this particular podcast features artists doing original music in jazz, blues, soul, that kind of umbrella. We discuss their lives, influences, and current projects. Joining us today is Ike Sturm, Eastman alumni, great bassist, composer, and arranger, who's doing a couple interesting things we wanted to talk to him about. With Ike, we discussed the influence his father, Fred Sturm, had on him, his time as director of jazz ministry at St. Peter's Church, which is still going on, and the band he formed with guitarist Jesse Lewis and Les Field. Ike, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, glad to, glad to see and hear you. <laughs> that, that's true, we got all the technical stuff figured out. So let's start from the beginning. Can you give us a little bit of background, your music, a little bit on your musical background when you first started in music and when you picked up the bass? Sure. Well, I started when I was about nine years old. Mm. So without doing, you know, complicated math, I've been playing for about 30 years. So uh, I started uh, playing Suzuki bass, actually on a cello standing up. Mm. Um, school didn't have a bass. Wow. And so, and I started tuba a little bit after that and kind of followed those instruments through school and mm. ended up playing. Actually, Jeff Campbell was kind enough. Charlene Campbell, his wife, actually, was the one who ended up giving me her Fender Bullet bass wow. to play pretty young. And, and so I started my electric bass uh, work with, with that that instrument and, um, and uh, you know, and kind of let the tuba go after, after high school and then uh, mm. really have been still a student of the bass since then so as a low brass player myself admittedly i play bass as well i'm a little disappointed that you gave up the tuba but but uh i understand <laughs> so um, well it, it did emerge on a gig last year as a surprise we had a little uh <laughs> orland style uh funeral procession that was happening at a friend and uh, with a friend of mine, and, and um, they kind of jokingly said, oh, man, I wish you could play tuba. And I, I haven't played it in so long, and I, I pulled it out. Definitely had a few shocked looks. Yeah. But not out of a, you know, I think some were impressed that I could play it, but it was just kind of a fun <laughs> moment. Right. But it's a little scary for me. My chops are far, far away at this point. So. Yeah, I understand. Um, so we'll come back around uh, to some of your earlier stuff later, but you are... A graduate of the Eastman School of Music. So can you tell us about uh, your, your majors there, the degrees you have there, and a little bit about your time at Eastman? Yeah, well, um, my undergrad degree started in 1996, hmm. and um, I was there for four and a half years. I did a, a four and a half year program with um, Music Ed, Instrumental, and hmm. uh, Performance, Jazz Bass. And um, so I had a, a great experience there for undergrads, uh, so much so that I stuck around and did my master's there. Mm. And, uh, met my wife, Misty, uh, right in the beginning of our sophomore year, mid mm. midway through sophomore year. And um, we got married after undergrad wow. or um, grad school. So a long time coming up on 17 years this winter. So Hey, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so, but I had an amazing experience at Eastman. A lot 
a lot of credits and um, was fortunate to be in a lot of classical, kind of the classical side of things with mm-hmm. instrument studies and ensembles, but also, you know, all the jazz courses. And so yeah. it was a lot made through, but actually prepared me really well for the you know, many things that I have to wade through now, too. So life just keeps moving, moving yeah. on. Um, but I, I absolutely loved Eastman. It was a great, great yeah, place. We'll, to- we'll come back to a couple of the different things you juggle, because uh, you have a couple titles that I think are exclusive to you. So we'll, we'll come around to those. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned in, in our little intro I did, your name probably rings a bell to a lot of people listening, even though they might not be familiar with your playing. You've written some big band jazz charts yourself, and, and then your, your father, Fred Sturm, wrote a lot of great charts, both for, for a couple of the universities he was at. And you and I have had the pleasure of doing a couple of interviews, and we've known each other for a little bit. And I, I just love hearing you talk about the influence your dad had, both on you musically, whether uh, it was just playing your instrument, whether it was writing. And I, I wanted to sort of take a moment with you and talk to you about what kind of influence uh, your dad was on you uh, musically kind of when you were younger and when you were at Eastman too, right? Yeah, um, it's it's huge. And I, I continue to, to realize more and more as I realized the other day that I'm I'm 39 now and this mm. is a, basically the same age that my dad was when he took his job at Eastman mm. um, in 91 when we moved from Wisconsin to Rochester. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very surreal moment as an adult, I think, when you realize, you know, I looked up to my dad so much and it seemed like this completely other time. And when you realize you're sort of at that similar time of life, it's, it's a very weird realization. But um, it really made me appreciate, um, you know, what a big decision that was for him. And, mm. you know, I grew up listening to him play euphonium on our little porch and mm-hmm. I... Apparently, from according to my parents, I always you know loved hearing that warm sound, and I think mm. now actually the sounds I strive for if I'm playing or orchestrating or writing, or listening to you know asking other people to participate in groups with me, I think that model is always at at, at the heart of what I'm thinking about, and um, I'm even thinking about my daughter who's playing cello now, and which mm. my dad's dad had played cello with Chicago Symphony and in Milwaukee and. Yeah. It's a, that, that tradition is, uh, is really intense, and um, it's really, I'm so proud of her and um, yeah. you know, seeing her carry that on. So, and There's a really uh, lovely video of you and your dad doing a duet together. I think when you were in high school, uh, Rochester had a Fred Sturm uh, celebration party. A lot of Eastman students end up teaching in Rochester, so Rochester's very thankful for that. But it was a lovely... Uh, it was really a lovely moment. I'm, I was very happy that I was there and to be able to see the video. For you, looking back on that, you know, you mentioned just sort of looking at his example, the sounds that he made and the way he wrote, that's something you try to reflect too. But as a young musician, I mean, as a young musician then, what was it like kind of playing with your dad and looking back on it now? How important is it for any young musician to actually get playtime with their parents? I think it's really special. We actually had very few times where we did that. I could mm. probably put it on one hand, mm. um, which was which makes that video extra special. But I think um, there was there was just a there was presence in other ways. I mean, my dad actually, as we, as I got older and as I kind of came into time making music, 
um, he wasn't playing as much. You know, he was arranged so much that he sort of retreated a little bit from that idea of just, I think, very comfortably just mm-hmm. said his identity was really found in in the way that he was approaching um, uh, his writing. And that was really an instrument, you know. He's such an incredible orchestrator and arranger, and, and he felt really comfortable with that. I think the idea of just keeping up all the playing is just a really, it's a, it's a completely different thing. And so there weren't that many times, but the amazing thing was he, as a brass player, he could pick up the horn after like months of not playing and just play, just yeah. have a sound. And that, that blows my mind having tried to come back to playing tuba and things. It's, uh, I don't know how he did that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really special time when we would get to play, but even if he wasn't playing along with me, he'd come in if I was playing a classical piece or mm. anything and he'd say, Hey, why don't you, you know, here, check out this vibrato or listen to this piece or why don't you think about this or watch your intonation on that. Or <laughs> I always think about it. It was a little intense because my mom is a great and also a percussionist. And so it, whenever you're in the house, it was like, you know, it's like walking on landmines. You know, you hit a rock <laughs> and it's like somebody's in the bathroom and they go, yeah, watch the A flat on that. You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's hard to, in a way, it's hard to have that feeling as a kid like you, like you don't want to make mistakes or your people are aware of what you're doing. But the other side of that, they were, you know, as a kid, you feel that, but my parents were super encouraging and we're never, you know, I'm sure very, very conscious about not trying to do that, you know, in the house. But, um, you know, I can, I could really appreciate that they would try to help me with a lot of different things. And dad would certainly, you know, share a lot of recordings. I remember giving, giving me like a Jaco Pastorius record when I was really young, kind of like, shockingly young to be hearing some of the crazy stuff that's on on that on this album he gave me and i remember him saying like yeah i know you like this now but in a few years you'll you'll probably like this and it was sort of and then fair enough you know it would be a few years later i was like oh yeah i'm crazy about this and you know so i I have memories of even like trying to work out a, a chord and dad's just walking down the stairs and going yeah that's a sharp nine chord and i was like as a kid it's like magic we shared a lot of great musical musical stories with your dad but i think looking at your career now we mentioned earlier the the two things that at least one thing that the title that you have that no one else has is director of jazz ministry uh, at saint peter's and first of all i don't think any so i don't think anyone else on the planet has that title i could be wrong but where I think, at least for me anyway, this this relationship between uh, modern faith and jazz doesn't really have sort of, doesn't have a ton of correlation. So can you talk to us a, a little, little, bit, little bit about that position, what you do, and how for you faith and jazz are intertwined? Yeah. Um, interestingly, the more I do it, um, it actually does seem like a very natural connection mm. um, with doing here and interestingly um there are a lot of things that are involved here at st peter's where i'm in new york um where i think for years now the reason we're still here is that there has been this natural correlation and i think um when you open up the music or when you open up the church to welcome musicians in an authentic way or as they are Mm. the music actually teaches us a lot about our faith um, for me personally, the idea that we can truly listen to each other, um, that we can be improvising and be present with one another in the moment, they're all things that I think, um, in, at least for me in my spiritual life, mm. I'm striving for. And so a lot of the, the goals that I have 
as a musician really play out in a kind of a spiritual realm also for me the idea of um, spiritual practice of listening, whether it be meditating or praying or mm. whatever someone's background is. Um, for me personally, I'm trying to get more in tune with what God is trying to say or what mm. God's trying to do in my life. And um, the more I can be sort of a vessel for uh, to, to allow music to kind of emerge from me, whether I'm writing or playing, um, I think jazz musicians really do that in an incredible way. Maybe mm-hmm. Maybe more than... Um, I don't. I don't want to qualify with some musicians more than others, but I just noticed that for jazz musicians, that's sort of all we try to do is mm-hmm. be present in the moment and allow the music to kind of soar through us. You know, coming coming through the band and listen to each other and really like work as a unit, as a community. And those are when I look at um, you know the Christian tradition and mm. teachings. That that's what I I see a lot of that the idea of community and. Um, looking out for others um, and, you know, being loving towards others. All these things play out in a musical mm-hmm. workshop, you know, and, and, and the music that we create and the things that we do in school. And um, I've actually taken a lot of ideas. Um, I'm wearing my Tritone Jazz Camp shirt right now from the summer camp, right? <laughs> and um, I actually have taken some ideas from Jazz Camp mm-hmm. back to church and said, you know, when I was at camp and you have all these people from different faith backgrounds and different all all walks of life that are at this camp and i thought wow they're really they come together not knowing each other and, all, and they leave and it's like this big family mm. and the idea that i was like wow I, I wish the church where i go would be more like that you know we had more examples of that and so we've i've, I've brought some of those examples or attempted to mm. um to get people together and so we have groups of people at our church now that are you know some people from jazz camp that don't go to church and mm. we have some people that are here that, that want to be involved. And we have younger students, kids and older students and people that can, you know, that are just starting out playing and people that could leave and go play a gig after the service, you know? So yeah. it's a huge, I, so I love that, that idea of kind of wild um, community. And, and, um, and I think that exists in the music, like at a jam session where people come in and say, I've never met you, but let's play, you know, I'll remember April and, and mm-hmm. see what happens, you know? And, um, so I love the idea that we can kind of bring all those elements together at church, and it's a it's a really really creative place. And um, so I, what's cool is watching musicians, even if they do have different faith backgrounds, they're coming in and being a part of what we do, and they they contribute, they lift all of the the things up that we're trying to do in, in terms of worship and and offer their true gifts. We're not telling them, hey, you have to play. XYZ, they come in and, and really play something that they've crafted or written mm-hmm. and passionate about. And um, so it's it's really cool. It's it's the story is still being written here, but it's it's fun to see it playing out. So. Yeah. Now you meant so just kind of so we can get a sense of what I know for any musician and for for anyone who, who dabbles in a lot of creative stuff, there is no true day to day because you're really doing something different day to day. But what are some more uh, regular things that you do as the, the director of jazz ministry at, at St. Peter's? Do you hold like, regular jazz concerts? You mentioned you have a camp. What are some of the kind of regular mainstay things that you do there? Yeah, the focus, we do a lot throughout the year. There are regular concerts each week um, that happen. Um, but the main focus of what I do is what's called the Sunday night, the Vespers service. Mm. And it's basically, Vespers is an old ritual right from from many many um 
centuries ago, but the idea um, about 50 years ago, it kind of was brought into a jazz context here at St. Peter's. And um, since then, people, you hear about things called jazz vespers, um, mm-hmm. and which really comes from, it's like evening prayer, basically. And right. um, so we've, that's, that's, we've experimented a lot with that, but that's really the primary focus of, of what I'm doing here is each week there's something different. Mm-hmm. And I write a lot of music for the church and bring in different musicians. And so it's, um, it's really a, it's like a, it's quite a playground here. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So, uh, so I want to transition a little bit. So you do a lot, a lot of playing, a lot, a lot of free, freelance work as well in what you do at St. Peter's. The other reason I wanted to bring you in today is, when I, first of all, I enjoy talking to you anyway. But what I, I like about what you do as a musician, what I like talking to you about it is you're interested in academia. You, you have this unique faith side that I don't think a lot of other jazz musicians have and like I said I don't like you I don't want to qualify everybody but the kind of the position you're in at this church it allows you to explore in a different way and the other thing is this duo project you have called Endless Field and you take this particular project and you weave in another love of yours nature so I, I wanted to pick your brain on how Endless Field got started how your love of nature works in there and more about the band yeah well um so a couple years ago, maybe this is two or three years ago, I've got to get my math straight here, but my good friend Jesse Lewis, who is one of my best friends, we've been playing together for about 10 years mm. and a ton of projects. Um, mostly, um, we're in we're in a lot of other bands together where we just, you know, you sort of, in New York and other places, you know, you, you find people that you love playing with and they, you sort of assemble these teams where rhythm sections that end up working together a lot and just find common ground. And Jesse and I found that we've had a ton of similar influences when we were growing up. And that's fueled a lot of our ideas and, and kind of the sound that we both strive to get as a duo. Mm. And But we were actually just, we live up to uh, in a, in a town called Croton-on-Hudson, which is about an hour north of New York. And um, we've been up there for a while. And so we love going outside and, you know, hiking or running or doing these adventures. And and um, one time when we were out together talking about um, playing, and we had a ton of different things going on, but they were all of these, you know, I had my own, my Evergreen project and some of the other things I was doing. Mm-hmm. So Jesse was just being called for a million different things. And we started talking about the idea of, you know, focusing something and really, we've, we've actually joked for about 10 years because we, we had such a chemistry when we started playing, we said, man, we have to start a duo. And it, it was always just sort of this thing that we would kind of joke about, but was on our radar. And so finally we were like, you know, let's really sit down. What, what is this? What are we going to do with this? And so we, we got together and, um, started meeting every week and mm. actually third, we went up to the Catskills for a couple of days and just, you know, had everything we just had our instruments and just played all day, like maybe 12 hours or something. And, and, you know, went out and hiked around a little bit and just, just allowed some space to really Mm. see what we were hearing and and try to write music together. And it was a really, um, it was, it was a total blast. And um, I think so often we end up doing all of these smaller things where you end up doing a hundred small projects and, the, the idea that we were able to meet over the course of a year and both compose and both really write specifically for this project, it was a really different experience than either of us have ever had. And I think in a way, from some of the feedback we've got from a lot of our friends in New York, there's not a lot of this stuff going on because everybody's scrambling and doing a lot of other projects. Mm-hmm. It sort of t- 
while to kind of get to this place where we could carve out some time to do it. And but as a result, everything's you know memorized and everything is it's we're we're prepared and kind of have dug in. You know, sometimes we'd work on one or two measures for an hour or something, you know, some crazy thing that you would never do for another gig. Right. And it was, we were able to really develop the music in a, in a more intricate kind of way over yeah. the course of the year and, and make a plan to record. And, um, so we've done a lot of, of videos and things outside and have a lot of, you know, connection to, to our inspiration, which really was, was wilderness and, and being outside. So, all right. Ike, thank you so much for your time today. We are going to end our little segment by playing a track from Endless Field. Is, uh, is there anything you'd like us to play for you? Well, um, I love, I, I'm, um, some of my favorite tracks are the, the very first one is called Unending Season. Hmm. And that's um, something I had written for a friend. And um, also the other track that's really fun to play is the one called Supermoon, which is um, features Donnie McCaslin oh. on phone and uh he's incredible so that yeah. that one I'm really proud of too so all right but but whatever you like you're welcome to so all right thanks for your time mike really appreciate it man thanks a lot great to see you dan